Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, I would like to welcome you back to another episode of Real Talk with Zuby. Today, we have got on Jeremiah Salvin, who is the founder of Conquer Academy. He is a performance and leadership coach. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on here. I'm uh, truly honored and humbled to be a part of this right now. So again, just thank you. That's awesome, man. And uh, whereabouts in the world are you recording this from? So I, I'm currently in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado. And so in the US, I know you're in the UK, right? That's right. Yeah, you actually have a really interesting story. Um, so your family's from Nigeria, right? And then you uh, were born and raised in Saudi Arabia, and then now you live in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, so that's 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 gonna make this really fun because um, you know, <laughs> you, well, you, we'll get into my background, but uh, you know, diverse backgrounds are always really interesting to me. Yeah, man, hundred percent. So introduce yourself to the audience. So tell the world a little bit more about you, your journey who you are and what you do. So yeah, up front, um, I'm the founder of Conquer Academy. It's my performance and leadership coaching business. Uh, but I also, I'm a former 75th Ranger Regiment officer. Uh, so for those that don't, aren't familiar, that's a special operations background. Um, and that's really where the next chapter of my life has, has started. And that's kind of put me into this, this business that I'm in now, this coaching and leadership business. Um, the underlining theme in my, in my life has been, you know, constant evolution. I come from a very small town and, you know, about 300 people. I guess it was, it's pretty sheltered, but, um, through constant failures, I've, I've continued to evolve throughout life and, uh, it's, it's allowed me to do some pretty phenomenal things. And so I've channeled all that into a how to, and, and created this business conquer Academy to show people how to get fed up and evolve their lives. And I've seen lots of your, uh, you do a lot of video posts on Instagram, a lot of motivational, inspirational stuff, but I like it because it's not just, um, it's not just fluff talk, you know, it's, uh, you can, you can tell that you're someone who's had some experiences and is talking from experience and is trying to give people some practical advice rather than just rah, rah, feel good about yourself kind of stuff, which, um, I think there's a lot of that out there. So when I saw that, it was pretty cool and refreshing. Yeah, man. You know, that, that that's something that really gets to me. It's it's you have all these you have a big movement with people moving into the motivational and, and success space and they're getting everybody hyped up with nowhere to go. And, you know, that's really why I'm, I do social media is to help people out and kind of give them actual stuff that works, the practical tools, because, you know, I have thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours of study into this field. And um there's nothing more frustrating than being misguided and not having a way to apply it. So my Instagram is 100% about practical tools and 
you know, some people would get upset at that I'm sharing so much free information. I've had people criticize me for that. You know, it's like, hey, make me make the jump into your business is what they'll tell me. And that's not the point of my Instagram. You know, it's to share the stuff, make people better and then uh, make make an impact one person at a time. So it's been hard to do social media for me personally. It doesn't come natural to me, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it took through a lot of practice, you know, and I, I know that the, the message that I'm trying to send is bigger than myself. So that's why I do it. I hope that it finds the right person. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I think whatever kind of content you put out there, whatever value you put out in the world, I'm a big believer that it might not be in the short term, but I think eventually, yeah, one, you'll find your audience. And two, I think that kind of value and positivity and karma, if you want, kind of comes back around. That's that's how I think these things happen. It's been really similar with me and my music career. It's just, you know, been really building up each relationship one by one by one. You know, it hasn't like, it was never like I'd put out one song or dropped one video or something and suddenly thousands and thousands of people knew who I was. It was really like, you know, meet that person and that person, whether online or in the <clears> real <throat> world. And then having done that literally tens of thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times, after a while, you know, the people who like your stuff tend to gravitate towards you. And it's not, it's not going to be everybody. You're never going to get the majority of people. But I think those who come and stay and find value, those are the people who you want to be targeting and having in your audience anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and from the, the small success that I have had, I say it's small. I mean, it's probably big to some other people. But um, to me, it's, it's still small in the grand scheme of things. What's worked is starting with that warm pool of people in your close proximity and just making one impact at a time. You know, a lot of people get ambitious about where they want to go in life and it can be really overwhelming and hard to impact, you know, hundreds of thousands of people at moments notice. So the, the, the better way to go about it is start with your close circle, heat that up and warm it and warm it and warm it. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, man, 100 percent. So, Jeremiah, t- take us back a little bit, man. Tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up. And, um, you know, your experiences, your your time in the armed forces, you know, just tell us the journey. We've got time so you can uh, expand on that a lot more. All right. So I grew up in a small town in Northern California called Trinity Center. It's a town of about 300 people. I was born in the 80s and, I, you know, we come from a low income family. I, I, I'm hesitant to call it poor um, because these days I see poor people and I, I didn't have it as rough as them. But, you know, we did have government coupons we we did eat government cheese i've drank powdered milk before my family uh you know had their own little garden which we we harvested every year to have food in the house and the nearest like grocery store was two hours away i I say all that because it it shapes you know who i am i spent a lot of time outside Um, i spent a lot of time just playing in the woods and playing with my brothers i have three brothers and then my dad, so my, we joke that my mom has raised five boys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that kind of shapes the household. My dad was a bit of an entrepreneur looking back at it growing up. You know, he, he left the, the Bay Area in California to kind of get away from the city. He wanted to live off the land. So he brought my, my mom and us up to Northern California to get away from all that. Um, and he's just kind of been a jack of all trades growing up. So I think that's probably where I get some of my entrepreneur ambitions. Um, but we used to do a lot of bear hunting. That was one of, one of the things he did when I was, when I was raised or being, excuse me, when I was growing up, um, we used to take people out on guides and, uh, I've hunted everything from squirrel to bear, you know, deer, I've I've hunted it all. 
<laughs> so uh, tell me more about hunting a bear because I, I can't say that uh, we don't we don't even have animals in the UK that can kill you. So I'm quite curious. <laughs> we don't have guns either. So I'm yeah. curious as to uh, what hunting a bear is like and yeah. why you'd well, want to hunt a bear as well. Sure. For food. Um, so like I said, at the beginning, we, we essentially were living off the land. I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I remember that garden that I was telling you about. We used to grow uh, lettuce, cucumbers and whatever. And we would take it to the gas station outside of our that small town that I told you about. My parents would have us sell groceries outside of that gas station. You know, when they had small little knickknacks in there, they had, you know, you know, canned beans and they had some food, but it was just funny selling food mm. outside of a store, you know, <laughs> but they, um, did, they didn't have a problem with that. No, I mean, it was a tight community. So the community okay, were, right, were struggling okay. and they were like, you know, what, go ahead, have fun. So, yeah, we used to hunt bear as a, as a means to gather meat and stuff. And there's two ways to do it. You know, you can you can stock a bear individually. Um, but we used to use dogs. So, so it's kind of funny because bear hunting with dogs is a lot like the military. You know, you, you start off super early in the morning, you get ready to go on patrol, you get all your dogs loaded up, you get your gear ready. But, um, I used to tag along with my dad and he would have me ride in the passenger seat and look for bear tracks, uh, on the road as we were driving. And we would have the dogs, in the back of the truck, we'd have one dog out on the, the back of it there, which was the, uh, the main dog for, for scenting out the bear, right? As soon as that dog picked up the bear scent and I found a track, we'd launch on a bear hunt and it would be, you know, game on. And my role in that was one, to find the tracks. And then two, when we did chase a bear and, and got it up a tree, my dad would have me jump off the side of a, the cliff, you know, the mountain and go verify whether or not the bear was in the tree or not. Cause bears, they move all the time. They'll go up, they'll go up a tree, they'll rest and then they'll take off again. And the dogs will keep that race will go on for sometimes days. And, oh, wow. uh, it's, it's not as easy as everybody says it is, um, or thinks it is. And, uh, it's really physically exhausting. So <clears throat> I would go down there and verify whether or not and my buddies would be with me. I had a one close friend that he did this with me every weekend. So he'd, he'd be tagging along with me. We'd go verify. And if the bear wasn't there, my dad would, you know, come down, come down the mountain, pick us up on the backside, or we'd have to figure out our way across the next spur, the next draw to, to tie in with him and then continue that until we caught the bear. So that's kind of how it starts. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of work. And then sometimes you end up capturing one and letting it go. Sometimes you capture one and you, and you, you know, you kill it and you eat it. We never killed any bears that, you know, had cubs with them. We never did anything like that. So if you, if you treat a bear and it had the cubs, you know, mm. that's one of those times where you would just let it go. So yeah, that that's, I spent a lot of time my, my childhood doing that. And, um, okay. I used, to, you know, I thought my dad just liked to hang out with me. And, uh, I realized as I got older that he was using me as free labor, you know, we'd kill the bear down. In the <laughs> yeah. We'd kill a bear down in a draw and, uh, we'd be, you know, chopping it up to pack it out. And all of a sudden I'm carrying all the weight and I'm just like doing these, you know, laps to the top of the hill and back down. It was a fun experience, man, and it, it really formed me who I am. People do eat bears, yeah. What, what's bear meat like? Uh, it's it's pretty good. I mean, uh, I I really enjoy the bear jerky. We used to make a lot of jerky out of it, and then my, you know, it, 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 hunting bear is a full time job. Like if you if you treat you can treat it as a profession because when the season, the hunting season, is just like uh, sports, you know, it's just like football. There's a season for it, and then in the off season, you're training. So when we're not when we're hunting bear. We were training the dogs for hunting bear. 
that's, that was bear hunting growing up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's cool, man. I, I like to, I like to hear these stories, you know, that's, that's just one awesome thing about the world. When you talk to different people, you know, everyone has such a different background story and experience and stuff. And I think it's always interesting to know kind of what people went through and how people grew up. Cause I think it, you know, in a lot of ways, it really forms how people are as adults and how they view the world and, you know, their, their viewpoints and experiences and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's, it's just fascinating to me. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, your, uh, your, your teenage years and then, um, going into the military as well. When did you do that? Yeah. So actually it's kind of funny because when I was in the, when I was in high school, I actually avoided the recruiter a lot. Like I was constantly dodging him. I didn't like his cheesy sales pitches and how just aggressive he was trying to get everybody. Hey, this is the great journey, you know, like come join the military. This is freedom right here. And I just didn't enjoy that. And I had my close friend that I used to hunt with, he ended up enlisting and he went to serve with the 82nd airborne, uh, as an infantryman. Mm. And, um, my girlfriend that I had for, you know, my high school sweetheart, she ended up joining right after high school and she went on to serve as a nurse. And so at the end of high school, I was kind of alone. And, uh, but that's kind of getting ahead of myself. What, um, what's, what's kind of interesting is I told you that I, I grew up a lot, you know, spending a lot of time outdoors and playing in the woods. I also spent a lot of time acting like a soldier, you know, me and my buddies used to, um, or my brothers and my buddy, we used to make traps and stuff in the woods. We used to, um, there's another family in our same little town that we used to have wars with, you know, quote unquote wars mm. where we would try to track them down and they would try to track us down. And so we spent a lot of our youth doing that again, you know, not a lot to do in this small town where right? we didn't have TV. We had, we, we had a TV, but it was sitting on the ground. We had like one channel that my dad like hijacked off the, <laughs> the yeah, neighbor's yeah, yeah. jack or something. Um, so we, anyways, so all my time was spent outside and, and we would maybe have you play these games where we were just, you know, have our own little tribes or whatever of, of kids and we'd play against each other. I remember we made this trap one time. It was a, a it wasn't a snare trap. It was a uh, tripwire. So we laid this, I'm probably 12 years old. And okay. uh, we laid this, this tripwire across this trail. And the idea was that the neighborhood kids, this other family would come through our little area, you know, our security area, try to get into infiltrate RAO. They would trip the tripwire and we had it hooked up to this, what we thought was a giant, you know, tree log, but it was like, this thing probably weighed like 15 pounds, if that, but it was very dramatic in our minds. And it was mm. pretty tall, but it was all dried out. You know, so we set this tripwire, we set up this log and we we're like, yeah, this is going to be epic. They're going to come through. We're going to win the, this battle. And my, my dog comes around the corner and he starts, <laughs> yeah, he starts walking down this trail, the same trail. And we're like, oh, not Mick, because that was his name, Mick. And yeah. uh, he was a German short hair. And this guy went everywhere with us. And uh, he comes walking down. And on one end, we're really excited because we're like, maybe he'll trip the line and we'll see if this works. On the other, what if it hits him, hits him and, and he dies? Or, you know, in our mind, we thought he was going to die. So we're sitting there like, no, we're kind of like frozen. And he comes down the trail. He trips the tripwire. We're like, yes, no, yes. <laughs> and we're like, Mick, no, run. And the tree comes falling down. And it, it's, it hits him right on the ass. And he, he scurries off. But in our minds, like, we thought he was going to die, right? So this tree is yeah. very, very dramatic. Hits him. He scurries <laughs> off. And uh, so anyways, we did stuff like that all the time. And then going into high school, there's a bunch of small schools outside of our local high school where the kids commuted. You know, it was a 30-minute drive for me to get to high school. When I got there, the school was a little bit bigger than I was used to. So in elementary school, I graduated with eight kids. 
And then we went on to high school and all these kids commuted. In my high school senior class, I graduated with 100. So it, it scaled up a little bit. It was, it was very overwhelming for me coming from a small town, not knowing anybody. And um, that transition was pretty hard. I kind of withdrew a little bit from people and, uh, you know, just being a small town kid. But yeah. I say all this because it, it builds into who I am now and what I'm doing, right? I'm on social media. I'm, I'm in business, in entrepreneurship. Um, I'm known as a leader and a coach now. So my evolution is, is kind of crazy that I've started off so small. Life is long and lived in chapters. You know, so we constantly are going through these evolutions of changing who we are and, and becoming the next version of ourselves. So that yeah. that brings me into high school. I can I can go into that unless you have some. No, ab- absolutely, man. Car- carry on. I'm, I'm just listening intently. OK, yeah. So I go into high school um, again. I told you about the high school sweetheart I had my best friend. We spent every single day together. And then um, some of the older kids encouraged me to come out for wrestling. With, with three brothers, I have a little bit of a background in wrestling and I, I end up kind of getting pressured to go out and doing it. And I have a lot of fun. And so that becomes my, um, you know, my new passion. And I spend, I start getting pretty good. Um, I'm really impressed with the, the amount of technique I'm able to pick up. And I intended some wrestling camps and I start really just throwing myself into it. And we got some help from the local community to help pay for me to go to some camps and, and some, some wrestling camps and whatnot. And so anyways, by my junior year, I get the confidence that I can actually make this a thing and I can go on to college and wrestle, mm-hmm. which is a huge breakthrough for me. You know, I'm like small town kid. No way. I, this isn't even in my scope of the world. So I become obsessed and I start training three, four times a day, every single day. And I, I start beating some of the guys that were beating me as a freshman and sophomore and my confidence is up. And I remember running down the road in my, my hometown, just like yelling state champion, state champion, state champion, just every single day. So I go into my senior year and I had these ambitions to go on to college and wrestle. And the agreement with myself was if I can go to state and place my senior year, I'll go on to college and wrestle. And so I'm continuing to train. I'm beating these guys that beat me before. And I go to the regional qualifying tournament and I end up in a true second match, which a true second match, for those that don't know, if you end up winning that match, you go on, um, that winner will, will go on and, and attend state. I'm in a true second match. And it's like the culminating moment of my dream, right? And I go into double overtime with this guy and I end up beating him. And I'm like, the most physically exhausted ever been in my life, hardest time in my life. And I'm just emotional. I finish and my coach comes up and he hugs me and he gives me a giant hug, tells me congratulations. He's like, Hey, but there's one thing. He's like, they're not taking true second this year. So that crushed me. Right. It just, it really destroyed me. My dreams of going on to college and wrestling were completely gone. And uh, I didn't know what to do. Didn't have any college plans or anything. Yeah. So what, what was their reason for not taking it? Each area, each region, it, it varied per year. But depending on how many wrestlers you have in that region, they would accept the top two positions or just the top one. Okay. So that year, they were over their quota. And he didn't tell me until that match because he didn't want me to lose focus. Ah, okay, okay. So, so he wanted you to obviously go hard and try to win. But okay, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, no knock on him for not telling me that he was, he was in it with me the whole time. It was pretty discouraging, but that was like the first real heavy failure that I took. 
and so what I ended up doing is kind of what everybody else does, you know, is I just fell into the social norm. And I had some people that I knew from high school that were going to go to a community college. Now, I'll remind you, my, my best friend that I spent every single day with since, you know, I was six years old, seven years old. He's gone. He left them and went to the military, right? Mm-hmm. High school sweetheart. She goes on and she goes in the military. And then here I am. I'm like, the whole time in high school, I'm not going to do the Army. I'm not going to do the Army. I'm not going to do the Army. And uh, I lose that wrestling match. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I find a new little group of friends. I go to a community college and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a decent student at this point. I'm really not, I don't test well, but I do great homework. So I end up, you know, 3.3 GPA type of individual, right? I'm not super smart, but uh, I'm a hard worker. And six of us go down to uh, Chico, California, and I attend Butte Community College. I do this for two semesters and uh, I'm really at a low point in my life where I just like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I have no purpose. I don't know why I'm going to school. I'm struggling with money. I mean, I remember I was completely broke. And the first time I had asked for money from my parents, I asked for my mom for $200 for groceries, go starving. So anyways, that's kind of the college situation. And what ends up happening is I come home one day and my buddies are all partying. It's like 2 p.m. I'm in my second semester of college and it's 2 p.m. And everybody's partying. I walk in on some stuff I really don't didn't want to see, didn't want to be a part of. Mm. and I can't even communicate the amount of weight and pressure and disappointment that I had at myself during this point. But I walk in and I'm like, I just shake my head. I'm like, enough, I'm done with this. So I end up enlisting into the army. Um, my girlfriend and I, my high school girlfriend, me and her split. So that relationship's gone. My best friend's gone. And I'm like, all right, new beginnings I'm going into the army. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know, there's two paths in, in the U.S. Army. You know, you can enlist or you can go the officer route. And typically, when you go the officer route, you need a degree. And it's a little more challenging uh, to get into. So I enlist, and I don't know what I want to do in the Army. I just know that I want to get out of my current situation. And I decided to enlist as an engineer. So I do civil engineer type work. Uh, basically, I, I start asking the people around me. I say, you know, asked my parents, my friends, I was like, what do you guys think I should do in the army? I said, well, do something that makes sense that you can use when you get out. I said, okay, so I'll do civil engineering. And I, I, I do that and I go through basic training and I'm put in a leadership position pretty much right off the bat. I trained this whole platoon for the nine weeks that I'm there. I'm very proud of the responsibility I'm given. And then the day before graduation, the drill sergeants take that position away from me and give it to somebody else. And that was very traumatizing, I guess. <laughs> it was uh, discouraging because yeah. it, when you're in that position, you get to walk that class in front of everybody's and to, to their parents, right? So you're that guy, that you're the, the one private that's standing in front of the whole platoon. It's a very proud moment. And so every yeah. day that I was working and leading these guys as a student leader, I was thinking about that day. Anyway, so the drill sergeants take it away from me. And um, what, just, what was that? What was their reason for that? Was um was there any warning or was it just No, so there's no warning. What they did was it was a lesson that that I'm not entitled to anything, that everything in the military is uh you could you could lose it any second. This mm. was the lesson they were trying to instill in me. But were you you were doing a good job though? Like not you didn't do anything or I did no, I did nothing wrong. I was doing a phenomenal job. Absolutely not. Nothing, nothing yeah. wrong at all. <laughs> they were just, it was yeah, strictly that's... just, just a point to prove like, Hey, yeah. you can get knocked down. It was, it was to teach me humility, you know? Yeah. No, that's um, tough, man. 
so yeah, that, that sucked. But so again, what I'm shaping right here is the constant ups and downs of what I'm going through, right? Sure. Um, constant failure, evolution, failure, evolution. And so I know a lot of people are going through the same thing. And um, so I go through AIT and having a decent time. And I'm also seeing some things in the military I don't like. There's some frustrations. And then I immediately deploy to Iraq in 2006. I go for 15 months, 15 months away, first time really away from home, away from all anybody that I knew. And I had a lot of time to think. Mm. So I go on that deployment. I'm an engineer and uh, I get really frustrated at my current situation again. I see mediocrity. I, I, I have some really good leaders that are over me, but I have some really bad ones. And I'm really frustrated that I can't do anything about it. Again, 15 months in Iraq, pretty stressful time in my life. And I have a lot of time to think. And uh, what I come to the conclusion of is, you know, I can't stand where I'm at in life again, but I want to make a difference. And a buddy of mine comes to me and he says, hey, have you heard of the Army's Green to Gold program? And the Army's Green to Gold program, it's a program that allows you to go back to college and uh, switch from enlisted to officer. Okay, and yeah. <clears throat> so he, he presents that and I'm like fed up listening to everybody else at this point. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so I apply for this green to gold scholarship, and I don't think that I'm going to get approved at all because I don't have the confidence to think that I'm going to get in, or I don't, I don't even think that I'm intelligent enough to get in. That's that, that small town kid that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, mm -hmm. you know, is still inside of me. To much of my surprise, I finish out the deployment, I get back and I get approved and talk about, I felt like I won the state championship at wrestling. You know what I mean? Like I was so happy, so happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. So I get accepted to green to gold. I go to college and initially I want to be an architect and I'm like that, that makes sense. It's logical. Um, but I meet a guy that's been to the Ranger regiment and has a background in special operations and he starts opening those doors to me he starts expanding my understanding of special operations. And, you know, I said, this is working this, this idea of not listening to everybody else. I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. So I went, I decided to study kinesiology in school at a pre physical therapy track. I decided to pursue the infantry and my goal was to get into special operations. And, um, that was very liber liberating. You know, I, I, that freedom of just, Hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. What ends up happening is I excel at it and I'm a strong leader. You know, I grew up with three brothers, so I led them in my youth and then I'm in basic training. I led that whole platoon there. So I have all this leadership stacking up with me and trailing me throughout my life. And when I find the infantry, I'm a perfect fit. Um, I decide to pursue it and it's highly competitive. Only 10% of the officers in your year group get accepted into the infantry. And I was, I qualified for that. And so Again, the bar gets raised in my life. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> so I go through um, the next chapter is going into ranger school. So I go through IBOLIC, which is the Inf infantry officer basic leader course. And that's, that's where they teach you infantry tactics as an officer. So I go through that. And then the, the follow on school is ranger school. So ranger school is a 62 day leadership school that teaches you survival tactics um, and, and leadership and evaluates you on your potential. So mm -hmm. It has a 33, less than 30% graduation rate. Of that, most people recycle the phases throughout it several times. There's three phases. I go into that course, um, you know, pretty nervous, but excited. And 
there's probably less than 10%, maybe, maybe 1% of the people that graduate ranger school go through without interruption. Okay. Yeah. And at this point I'm, I'm every night I'm obsessing about this path that I'm about to step into. I'm visualizing every single night. I'm writing my goals. I'm, I'm just completely obsessed about becoming a leader in special operations. And I want to earn myself as an infantryman as, and earn myself in combat as an infantryman, right? So I go through ranger school and I pass first time, no issues. Like, Sweet. And my mind is blown again. I'm like, holy shit, I can do more. So I go on to serve as a platoon leader in, at the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii. And at this time, this is uh, 2000, when did I get there? 2012, 2013. And so the war is kind of starting to die down, right? Remember I told you I wanted to go on and serve as an infantryman in combat. I want to prove myself as an infantryman in combat. So those ambitions were slowly, I'm slowly starting to get discouraged, you know, because the war is getting to dying down. Sorry, which war specifically is that? Yeah, so we're starting to pull out of Iraq. We have a minimal presence okay. in Afghanistan at this time. Okay. And it's, look, it's starting to look less and less like I'll get to deploy and okay, I'm never going to get to go earn myself and prove myself as an infantryman. Mm-hmm. And that, but I ended up, you know, having a great time there leading phenomenal platoon and turning that platoon into the best platoon in my company and in the battalion, which is a really high, you know, it's one of the highlights of my, you know, one of my achievements is the impact that I made while I was there, regardless. I go through that. And the next thing I do is I compete in the army's best ranger competition, which is a three day physical event where you just, you don't sleep, you just can continue to move. And oh, wow. uh, it's, it's, it's really intense. And at this point, I, I've never really ran more than five miles and, or 12, I did the 12 mile ruck march, but I never really ran consistently more than five miles at this point in time. But I get talked into it by this leader that had been to the 75th Ranger Regiment. He says, hey, hey, Jeremiah, come on, and try this thing. Let's just do the workout. So I go out and I actually place really well. And so that puts me into the, the, the competition bracket. And so the Army takes 52 teams, to compete against each other for three days and it's nonstop moving for three days. We put on 62 miles, 60 to 62 miles in the first like 24 hours. Most of it oh, wow. with a rucksack on wow. with 55, 65 pounds on my back. <laughs> yeah. It's like three, it's like three marathons. Yeah. So, and, and um, I mean, in between events, we're shooting, we're doing medical training, um, we're doing obstacle courses, you know, yeah. so it's pretty intense. My buddy hits a, a wall, a physical wall, cause it's a partnered event. And we're like 400 meters away from the finish line for finishing that gate. And after that day, after that event, they take the 52 teams, they cut them down to 25, only 25 teams move on. We're in like 20th place in that single event. And we're sitting about 10th across the whole, uh, as, as a, as a ranking for the whole thing. So we're coming in and, and the 400 meter you know, target is away. Like we, we just have the finish line, but he hits a wall. I hit a wall and we get leapfrogged by some teams behind us. And we find ourselves in the 26th place and we get cut. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. So pretty brutal. But, um, again, so that was another thing that I, I had put myself into, you know, relentlessly and unforgivingly. And I came up short. So I was pretty discouraged. It felt like failure again. But what I realized afterwards was, hey, man, you can do more. You can run more than five miles. Look what you just did. That leader that I told you about that put me into that competition, he had been to the 75th Ranger Regiment. Some of the guys that were training us had been to the 75th. And um, I started thinking, hey, maybe I can do this. So I applied and I got 
selected to attend the, the assessment and the assessments like 30 days where they do psychological and physical testing. It's very intense and very few what people the, are selected. What sort of testing do you go through? What's the psych, what's this psychological, sorry, do you say physiological testing or do you say psychological? Psychological. Yeah. Okay. So what does psychological testing consist of? What does that actually mean in terms in practice? Yeah, so I can't get into specifics, but I will say that okay. they they do some personality assessments, right? So that's one gate. Um, they do some cognitive obstacle courses where they're going to test you physically and mentally at the same time and see how you handle pressure and stress and can make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're going to evaluate you in a in the tactical environment and in a uh, classroom environment with stress, which is in the form of a board, right? So you know, an entourage of high ranking officials just just, you know, digging into you and asking you the tactical oh, okay. questions and whatnot. So that's, gotcha. that's kind of the psychological testing. And you do meet with a, a psychologist who evaluates you and to make sure that they're putting a high performer in, not somebody that's you know, a little bit crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so I go through that and, um, I do very well and I get, I get picked up. And again, it's, you know, if you think about the tier of this at the base of it, at the base of the army, if you think of it like a pyramid, there's 400,000 soldiers. And as you kind of build your way up into special operations, that gets narrower and more narrow. At this tier, there's very few infantry officers that make it to this level. So I end up getting assessed and selected, and I go on, and I serve at the 75th Ranger Regiment. I serve as a platoon leader there for the entire time I'm there, which is unheard of. It's like but most of the time you have to shuffle between staff positions, like doing computer work, and then leading soldiers or rangers. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to spend my entire time there as a platoon leader, and that was incredible. So all that time that I talked to you about before, about wanting to earn myself in combat, I had still been obsessing about that every single night, visualizing it in, in extreme detail, like very, very specific, right? And um, so I go on, and it's like all, I'm starting to gravitate closer and closer to that dream, and I get to the 75th, and I spend my time there, and I deploy multiple times with them. And in one event, I relive the exact, exact visualization, the imagery, the focus that I had, that I was rehearsing every single night, I, it manifests itself on a, on a mission. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, I, it's, it's just an overwhelming experience. I'm like, everything that I, and this is why I believe in the law of attraction and all this stuff. So not only have I been able to pass through all these gates, and I get to this really incredible point in my career, I feel like I'm developing a system to teach people how to do this. Okay. Visualization, goal setting, all these things. So I go on, I have that experience and I get done. And uh, to, just to put this into perspective, it was like winning the lottery, right? So out of 400,000 soldiers in the army, there's, I don't give exact numbers, but at this point in my career, there's between 20 and 30 individuals that have this job in the entire army. And nationally. Yeah. Okay. So of those 20 to 30, not all of them are deploying and not all of them are going on and fighting because we're getting tasked out to do other things, advising missions and whatnot. Yeah. So it's even more rare to go on and serve in combat, but I was lucky enough to, to, to serve in combat, to live out those, those dreams and ambitions that I had. And again, it was, it was so a phenomenal where, experience. Where was it that you served in combat? Was that in Iraq? So this is this is in Afghanistan. I can I can talk okay. a little bit about it. Um, just not a lot. I can't tell you provinces and stuff like that. But I was in Afghanistan at this time. 
I was with the 75th Ranger Regiment, yeah. And what was that experience like? If there's stuff you, you can't share, then that's fine. I'm just curious as to what that experience was actually, what that experience was actually like. I can talk very specific, just not like, you know, dates and times and places. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Man, it was revealing of, of you know, war teaches you a lot of stuff. It, it teaches you who you are. And I think that the challenges that you face, whether in combat or leading up into combat, tell a lot about your personality. It was a phenomenal experience in that I got to live my dream, but it was also a great experience because I got to discover more of who I am. Okay. And, and I think that the, one of the biggest things that I took away from it was just this feeling of feeling protected. No matter what the situation was, I was able to think critically, think without issue and lead and uh, not shut down like some guys can and will do. Yeah, yeah. So what was the, what was the driver for you beyond, I guess, I mean, was it merely just wanting to prove yourself that made you want to, you know, be really keen? You said it was a dream to go into combat, whereas, of course, you know, as I'm sure you must know, it's, that's, a, that's a nightmare for a lot of people. So what was it in you, I guess, that planted that seed? Like, this is what, this is what I really want to do. What made it a dream? Yeah, so at first it was about just proving myself. 100%. You know, I wanted to earn myself as an infantryman. And I felt that would val- felt like that would validate me. Mm. Um, the other part is I wanted to know how I would handle that type of situation. You know, because as an infantryman, you know, that, that that's really what it comes down to. Can I conduct myself? Can I be a leader in a stressful situation? And um, yeah. so that was part of it, you know, but at this, the early stages, it was more about proving myself. And, and I liked that I had evolved right mm-hmm. we talked about my early childhood and how i had i had like no context of the world and what i was capable of right but as i start progressing i'm like oh man i can do more i can do more so that process is what really excited me yeah and i said let me see how high i can take this were, were you fearful at any point um anxious not fearful okay did you play sports in at all in high school? Yeah, or? yeah, absolutely, man. I, I primarily rugby, but I played everything. I played uh, football, which you guys would call soccer. I played um, when I was in Saudi Arabia. I played baseball. I've done a lot of sports, not all of them like long term, but you know, I've I've competed in swimming. I've done tennis, cricket, rowing, basketball, baseball. Like I've done a ton of sports, but rugby was my was my main one. That's the one that I carried all the way through to university. Yeah, so it's it's similar in that you get anxious before a competition. Okay. Um, now, when you're actually being shot at, <clears throat> you know, I've been shot at pretty close. You know, yeah, I was like, gonna say that, that that's that's pretty. <laughs> I was gonna say like, <laughs> like comparing it to sport, I'm kind of like yeah, you know, a little bit of little bit of nerves. <laughs> Same with the live performance, but when I, when I go on stage or when I'm playing rugby, like you know, I'm not worried about bullets flying at me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so yeah, there is that, that difference, but you know, you, you got to think like you're preparing for this event your whole career, you know, you're, at least if you're smart about it, you're preparing for it. Some people aren't, some people go into that, get put into this situation, you know, early on in Iraq, I don't think guys are ready for it. And I think that's what messed a lot of people up. But when I was, when I was in Afghanistan, just to put it in, into context, like, you know, I've been shot at probably 10 meters away by a machine gun, like in my face. This guy was in a bunker. It was a defining moment. I'm just curious as to, you know, what it's like, because 
you know, when, when it comes to military stuff, it, it's always interesting because you've got the, you've got the reality of it and then you've got the depictions of it. So when most people think about like war or army or military or whatever, they think of like movies or books or even video games. Now, you know, you've got obviously Call of Duty and all that kind of stuff. It's almost like a source of entertainment to people, right? People are on the outside looking at this thing as a source of entertainment. So I'm curious as to someone who's actually been there real life in the situation, what that actually feels like. Because, you know, I think I'm I think I'm a pretty brave guy. I'm not someone who generally deals with too much fear, but I'll be, I'll keep it 100 and be like, at no point in my life did I ever consider like going into the military. Cause I was like, nah, I don't want to be shot at. Like, screw that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, screw that. Like, so, someone else I mean, it's, shot, but that's not me. Getting shot at is not the fun part. And you're shooting back is the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Man. You know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and toot my own horn about this stuff. Like the guys that, are, are you know the real heroes and, and the guys that do phenomenal like these you would be so impressed it's like having an in in, in soft and in, in special operations and even in conventional forces man the infantryman is something special he has this desire to get the mission done and to see with like the guys that i was leading it was like having an nfl team at your fingertips all you have to do is just point and tell them what to go do and they go and execute you know that, that specific event that I was telling you about where I was shot at, you know, you know, 10 meters away, one of my outstanding leaders, junior leaders, he ends up go, moving to the gunfire. He travels to it. I'm commanding and controlling, you know, just behind this berm. This, the enemy's on the backside of this bunker. And we, me and him have a quick session where we're talking about how to take this thing out. And he grabs his fire team. I'm controlling the guys to my right. He goes to my left. He, he moves to, lays down suppressive fire, moves to the bunker while shooting with his fire team pr- protecting him, lays down a, um, it was a, it's an explosive charge, blows it to create a breach inside of the bunker, you know, withdraws. We reconsolidate, still firing, still shooting. He goes back to the bunker, same machine gun inside, shooting at us. He almost eats around in his face, probably. I mean, I, I saw the barrel stick out of the bunker and fire at him, and he drops another grenade inside of it, kills two, wounds two, inside of the inside of the bunker, and uh, neutralizes the threat. And he did that without issue. Here's a here's a question. This might be uh well, you know this this is real talk with Zuby, so I'm I'm gonna put out my my real talk questions. At any point, I mean, do you ever? So what's the best way to put it? I guess in terms of like wars, especially when it comes to like Iraq and Afghanistan and these wars, which have been a little bit contentious, I guess, with people in terms of, you know, like, should the U.S. even have gone there or been there where, you know, you, you kind of have all these different viewpoints on it amongst the amongst the general population. And I'm wondering for the people in the military themselves, because obviously everybody needs to be on the Everybody needs to be on the same page, right? You've got a mission. This is the mission you want to go out there and you want to execute it. Um, but I guess for, if not yourself, I mean, maybe amongst other people, was there ever a point where you're kind of like questioning the bigger, the bigger oh, picture? Yeah. I don't know. Like you're, you're shooting, someone's shooting at you, you know, you're shooting at somebody, somebody's shooting at you, but like, you don't even know who, you don't know who that person is. They don't know who you are. Like, it's just like, you know, the mission sets you as our team versus your team, but it's like on a personal level or whatever, like there's no actual 
animosity or anything like that. You know what I mean? That's something I've always like mulled around in my head and just wondered how that kind of how that kind of works on on a human on kind of like a human level, you know? Yeah. So questioning your purpose is is something that everybody goes through, especially okay. in the military, especially in a war that we've been, you know, we've been fighting for, you know, 18 years, you're going to question. And if you're, if you don't question it, you're a fool. It means you're just mm-hmm. ignorant and you're just blind to everything. Yeah. Um, but how you communicate it to yourself is what is what really matters, right? We've lost a lot of people overseas. Um, I've lost some close friends recently. It, 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 so yeah, that stuff stings, but I think it's important to remember why we're doing it. So I constantly keep that in the front of forefront of my mind. Now, when we're talking about this specific event, mm. you know, receiving contact and, and thinking about the other person and all that, all that stuff goes out the window. You're not thinking yeah, about yeah. any of that. Yeah. I'm not thinking about this guy's family. I'm not thinking about any of that stuff. I'm just thinking about this is my team. That's his team. Need to neutralize this. Yeah. And afterwards, I have no animosity towards anybody that I've that is my enemy. Right? I respect mm. them. They have their own beliefs. Um, I, I pity them. I pity the, the, some of the way of their, you know, the way they live and stuff like that. But uh, it's unfortunate is, is mm-hmm. essentially the best way for me to describe it. Um, so I don't, I don't see them and see the situation in that type of context. Yeah. I think it must take a very specific type of personality to even, to even do that. Do you think, I mean, is there like, a, I, I just think there are a lot of people who would not be able to do that for better or worse you know what i mean so i'm just wondering how is that just like uh something in your in your personality and other people's personalities that allows that and i, I don't need, i don't even know what the question is here yeah I'm no just, i see uh, what you're I'm saying kinda, yeah i'm just kind of thinking out loud you know you're asking are some people bred and built for that type of situation? yeah I, I yeah i guess so i mean starting going back to our initial conversation about you know the bear hunting and stuff like that you know like there's people who wouldn't even be able to hunt right So I think, you know, you've got people who are just wired differently and built differently and raised differently. So, you know, some people, some people couldn't pull a fish out the water. Well, it's, it's funny is when I was a kid, I actually didn't like killing the animals. Okay. You know, I had a hard time with it. I'm, I'm naturally, I can feel what other people and things are feeling stronger than a lot of other people. I'm very empathetic. That's probably where I get some of my strength as a leader Mm. because I'm, I'm concerned with the people under me. Right. Yeah. But if you had to tell me to go hunt a bear or hunt a person, I would per- choose the person every time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was so ready for you to say the bear. And then I was like, Oh, I was gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, it's true though. It really is. Like, I guess for me, my own individual take on it is people always want the best outcome. The truth, the, the truth of the matter is that we fight. We've always fought. People die. And once you come to that realization that the world is not full of sunshine and rainbows, it becomes a lot easier to digest that information when it's put in front of you. And it just becomes a hard fact. And I have my own ways of coping with it. You know, I think it takes, it's up to the individual to figure out how they're going to process taking another human's life. But there's also some value to it in that it reminds you of how precious life is. You know, after you take somebody's life, like I've seen guys, you know, expire within you know they're just i've watched them expire right their last last breaths and that's a very very powerful thing to feel in a positive and negative way how do you cope with it because obviously not everybody does you know ptsd is a, a very very real thing that affects a significant percentage of people who you know do do face war so how do you personally deal and cope with it and remain 
you know, a very positive, uplifting, inspirational person at the same time. It's, it's like what I teach people in, in my coaching business. It's reframing, right? How you think is a matter of choice. So that's really what it comes down to. How, how do I want to think about this situation so that it serves me? Mm. The guys that have PTSD are generally, from what I've seen, guys that got put in a situation they didn't want to be in mm. and exposed to a very traumatic experience, generally on the defense. You can imagine the scarcity and the fear that you would feel on the defense versus the offense, right? Sure. So it's a totally different situation here. Now, I've been on the other end where I've been in the defense a little bit. You know, when I was in Iraq and I was enlisted, I didn't have a combat job, but I was moving all the time on roads that had IEDs on them. There's a constant threat. So I've been exposed to that aspect of things. and, And I would much rather be on the offense. Gotcha. Okay. No, that, that's just interesting to me. Like it's a, it's a, it's a whole different world for me. Like I said, it's one of those things that you, uh, I think everybody feels like they know some stuff about it. Cause like I said, everybody's seen movies, played games, watched TV shows or whatever. So it's like, you feel like you kind of, you kind of know what it's like, but I don't think uh, there's certain things that I think you just have to experience or talk to at least talk to somebody who's experienced it to really get a better picture. I guess if I were to summarize it, it's my thoughts are life is fragile. Mm-hmm. Life is, is so, so fragile. And I think that is part of what drives me today to, to get exactly what I want out of life without any remorse, just to give it my all and teach mm-hmm. other people how to do the same because I've seen life go away, you know, and everybody that's had friends or family members pass, like they, they have that same feeling. They know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, for real. No, it's important to sometimes have that reminder of, you know what, we're all going to die. Tomorrow's not promised. We can't control everything. It's It sounds a little bit morbid, but I think, yeah, there's a lot of positivity to be gained from that in terms of the way you, the way you live your life and the way you treat other people. I think if you kind of have this false idea or you never think about the fact that, yeah, you you are going to pass away at some point then it's easy to just kind of sit around and not be productive and not go for your goals and treat people badly, hold grudges, all that kind of stuff. Cause you're not thinking, no, you know what? Like next week this could all end. So let me, let me be a positive force and let me go for what I actually want to do. Yeah, absolutely. We are every day that we wake up, we are lucky. 150,000 people die a day. And, and the mm-hmm. fact that every day could be your last, like People have to wake up to that. You know, I, I think about it every single day I get up. Thank God I'm awake. Mm. Thank God I woke up today. And it creates a sense of urgency to get the things done that we want to do when you know that your time is running out. Because mm. you're going to wake up. You're going to wake up one day. I call it the rocking chair test. You know, I look back on my life as I lived it and I wonder what decisions I wish I would have made along the way from the perspective of sitting on my rocking chair outside my dream home as if life was about to end, as if I was days away from my life's end. Mm. You know, hey, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and that's it, man. You know, how do I wish I would have lived life? And I ask myself that all the, all the time. How do I wish I would have handled today? And that just puts you on a, on a positive trajectory to get the most out of it and really figure out what you want, you know? Yeah, man. So coming a little bit more forward into the present then. So you've left the military now, is that correct? 
Uh, not necessarily. So I'm a former Ranger regiment officer, but I'm in, I'm on active duty right now as a company commander in the conventional force. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's why, that's why I do now. I have like 130 soldiers underneath me. Okay. That's my, my nine to five, if you will. And then I okay, also yeah. have this company conquer Academy, which I, I started up. Okay. So what's conquer Academy all about? Yeah. Constant improvement and growth mm-hmm. it is, it is about helping people, giving them the tools that I've used to manifest my dreams and help them get to the next level. Cause a lot of people don't have those. It's just, it's all the skills that I wish I had when I was, when I was younger and I didn't, and I wanted to get better and I wanted to be better and do something more. Gotcha. So, so when did you start it? Yeah. So it's kind of funny cause I've been coaching people for a really long time, giving advice, you know, like I talked about with the, being an older brother and stuff like that. But, uh, I hired, um, a business coach, you know, and really he's, he's a phenomenal individual, um, to help me out with evolving. Cause I realized like, I can't do this on my own. I, I, I tried for four years of a way to elevate myself financially and in the business and entrepreneur world. I tried trading stocks for two years straight. I had some ups and downs and then I switched over. I did some online businesses and those, those went through the ups and downs and really what stuck, what, what, what stuck was, this business conquer Academy. And what I had been neglecting was my skills as a leader and my experience evolving as a person. Mm-hmm. So when I got back from my last deployment in uh, November, actually, I set all the conditions to start conquer Academy until I got back. I wrote a, an ebook called the whole man project while I was in Afghanistan, which if any, actually for any of your listeners to give, to give back to this community, if anybody wants to DM me on Instagram, I'll send them a free copy of it. And it's my story plus all the tools to help you elevate yourself to the next level. It's called the Whole Man Project. The Army's currently reviewing it. Um, so I pulled it, pulled it off, of, off of Amazon. And okay. uh, it was getting circulated with like Jocko Willink and David Goggins. Like I, had, I sold right. like, like 200 copies in like – in like three days or something like that. It was crazy. And uh, I got to make sure the army approves me to do this. So I paused it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's going through the army chain. So right now is a hot time to come and get my book if anybody wants it and it'll help you guys out. I spent the whole deployment writing that book um, and working with my business coach, getting clear on some things in life. And then I got back and I launched the company and uh, it immediately took off. So how did you go about launching it and getting people on board? So the first thing I did, so I, I stepped into Instagram, right? That's the first thing I started sharing my skills, um, my performance tips, my goal setting tips, my motivation, all that stuff. I just started sharing the information. I said, you know, what? I'm just going to give this stuff away for free and I will continue to do that. Um, and I, I started there to, to help people and create an audience and, um, I've been in and off Instagram for a couple of years doing some different various things, but this is really the first time I've had, I've been on Instagram very focused. Yeah. So that was the first thing is I put it up on Conquer Academy. I just announced it. I said, I, I, I welcomed people that wanted to get this training and, uh, I received a ton. And, um, like I said, it's, it's keeps, it keeps getting better and better. So that's awesome, man. And is there like a specific demographic or a type of person that you're that you're wanting to work with? Is it, is it mainly guys or is it women as well? Young people, older people, is there like a target audience for it? So I've worked with a pretty broad audience right now. Um, 
males and females, guys are in the corporate world, guys are in government organizations. Um, I helped one guy get into uh, an FBI selection. Um, he went on to do that. I helped a, a fitness, a female fitness professional uh, elevate her business through by, by removing her limiting beliefs mm-hmm. and increase her income. Um, I'm training a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter. Uh, there, it goes on and on. So really my focus is athletes, leaders, and achievers. Okay. So these are high performers that have either, I don't want to say high performers. They're people that are looking for the next level is the bottom line. Yeah. So, oh yeah, well people, yeah, people who are already self-driven and performing at a pretty high level and trying to go above and beyond that. Or if they're stuck and they have, so a lot of the guys that I'll, I'll, I'll train, I have this one guy, he makes over six figures. Um, he was, he was a fighter. Um, he got very comfortable in the corporate world mm-hmm. through his individual skills. And now he, he's realizing that he got complacent. He started a family. He, he, he's very comfortable. And he's like, dude, my life sucks. Mm. He's like, he loves his family and stuff, but he realized that like he stopped evolving and mm. it's driving, it's driving him crazy. So me and him, I'm working with him and we're evolving him to the next circle so he can make more money, have a better impact with his family, get more out of life, get, get in better shape. And what's cool about it is through helping him, his wife's coming along as well. It's it's carrying, it's carrying over to her through my coaching with him. That's awesome, man. I think, I think we'll definitely get you back on the podcast in the future. Let people know where they can find you online. Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram is the number one place. Um, I'm at, Jeremiah Sullivan. So it's all one word, J E R A M I A H. And then my last name is Sullivan, S O L V E N. And I engage with every single person that DMs me and drops comments in my page. Um, and I actually am offering uh, five free breakthrough coaching sessions for anybody that's interested. The link is in my bio. So if they want to, if this interests them, if they want help, evolving as a person, that's the best place to go when you set it up. Awesome, man. And before we go, if you can give a one tip or piece of advice that people can take with them, if there's one thing you'd like to just say to whoever's listening that they can take away and keep in mind or act on, what would that be? So I had a pretty phenomenal leader give me some advice one time that put me on a whole new trajectory. And if you're considering getting help, whether it's coaching or whether it's, you know, somebody, a personal trainer, it doesn't matter what it is, or you're about to step into something new and you're trying to figure out if you should do it. One piece of advice is go, go. That sounds good, man. Awesome. Jeremiah, so good to have you on the podcast, bro. Uh, Keep on inspiring, keep being awesome. And we'll definitely talk again in the future. Thanks again for having me. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Nice one, man. Take care. Like a bang, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.